A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to this milestone episode of the Frisk Exchange, episode 25. Can you believe we've got here? Um, first of all, let me just say thank you very much to... I got an overwhelming amount of messages this week after last week's episode with Paul Allwright, aka Little Dialect, um, which was brilliant. Like, absolutely love hearing from you guys and... Love hearing your feedback and what you're enjoying about the show, what you, people you'd like to hear me talk to. Um, so really just good vibes. So thank you very much. And I've been speaking to Paul since and he really enjoyed it as well. So um, and he said that those people are reaching out to him as well. So thank you very much. This is exactly what I wanted. So thumbs up everyone um, for today's episode we have our first CEO um, an incredible man um, has dedicated his life to um, working in drug rehabilitation um, and drug decriminalisation uh, it was of course Tony Duffin from Anna Liffey uh, Drug Pro- Project which is from Inner City Dublin um, for anyone that doesn't know about the work that the Anna Liffey Drug Project do um, they offer advice and support to people um, going through uh, drug addiction um, whether it be for um, knowledge on drugs to all the way to connecting them to be able to take the first steps to getting clean or getting sober and um, rehabilitating themselves. So we had a really interesting chat about you know how far we've come along from we'll say uh, drug use, drug misuse and how the kind of message of the 60s, 70s of just say no doesn't work anymore um, and the great campaign that they've started is hashtag safe from harm um, so it's all about harm reduction so he was in to basically talk to us about the projects and the campaigns that they've set in place um, what they do and just his own, his own experiences, own life experience and how he got started working for Anna Liffey. Um, so a really interesting story um, and yeah, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So as always, if you do listen and you do enjoy, please share, please comment and we'll see you back here next week for episode 26. But for now, it is CEO of the Anna Liffey Drug Project, Tony Duffin. Tony, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Not and, at all. And so quickly as well. Yeah, uh, you you were you're actually the first guest that we've had on that reached out. So when when that happened, I was like, I had to get you on because I'm very big on you know trusting signs and I'm quite impulsive. So when you messaged, I was like, oh interesting and then obviously I'd known of Anna Liffey um but I was like this is a great opportunity and very on topic and on trend you know everything that you do it's it's going on at the moment so I was like scrap everything get Tony in well look when you see a a, you know such a podcast you're looking at it you're reading about it and and listening to it and you're thinking god you know podcasts it's almost like the democracy of podcasts you reach out and people and people say yeah sure come on and then fantastic so thank you yeah absolutely and I think that the main aim that we are trying to achieve with this podcast is that it's it's to be you know have variety I suppose and Mm. it's not just one type of person or one type of background I I want to have as many different cultures people of background Mm. of different race of different jobs everything in here and um try and for my own 
inquisition try and see if i can like find a common theme or a common mm. thread between everyone so um best of luck with that yeah. <laughs> it'll be good <laughs> yeah so for our listeners that might not know yourself or might not know the work that you do you're sure. ceo of anna liffy yeah so i'm the ceo of the anna liffy drug project um anna liffy is a homegrown home developed uh irish i mean by home um uh NGO charity that works with people who use drugs. So mm-hmm. we're a harm reduction service. We we were established in 1982. Um, I've been there. This is my 15th year. In November yeah. will be 15 years there. And um, uh, but in 1982, the Analyphy was established, and um, Father Frank Brady and Mara De Lacy set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and. They wanted to look back in 82. There was an emerging heroin problem in Ireland mm-hmm. and uh, particularly in the north uh, inner city mm-hmm. of, of, of Dublin. And they wanted to respond to that. Right. And they wanted to work with people um, who were using drugs and they wanted to offer a kind of counselling service with no kind of rules. You know, you come in a kind of drop in service uh, for people. And, yeah, it was the first of its kind. Um and we've maintained that kind of open door. We call it low threshold work. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there's no there's no there's no real there's no barriers to come in and you walk up walk in the door at fifty one Middle Abbey Street, um, Monday to Friday in the morning and, and there's a drop in service there. And there's a there's a group of fantastic workers, mm-hmm. absolutely amazing people who who will welcome you and, and you know and, and do what they can for you at your pace. Mm-hmm. Um and that, that back in eighty two that, that was kind of novel. Um, it was it was people didn't really understand what they were trying to do. There was no language like harm reduction and low threshold work, and and now there is obviously. Yeah. But but you know, they unfortunately in in sort of mid eighties there was the HIV AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And you know, as we, when you look back now, you realise that actually what you needed to do was was reduce risk. You know, mm-hmm. we, we we back then. Um, when people were found to have HIV/AIDS, um, they they would um, they would be put in a kind of isolation isolation yeah. unit, and people wear, would wear those kind of has hazmat suits yeah. and uh, and go in. But Frank would go in and just stroll in and sit down and mm-hmm. eat with them and talk to them and give them a hug and all that. Yeah. And this was before the kind of people really understood how it was transmitted. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously we realised um, collectively across the world, we realised actually it was um, bloodborne and, uh, and you know, therefore you needed to, you know, provide people who use drugs with, with safe, um, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, dr- um, dr- no, I've gone all no, you're fine. Um, with, with syringes and, and yeah. such and uh, sort of needle exchange. Uh, or indeed uh, provide condoms for safer sex, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we were doing all that, you know, very early on. Uh, I suppose the, the the thing that we did first off was peer-to-peer education. So people yeah. who were coming in, learning around how to be safe and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, you know, it, just, it was just the first harm reduction service working with people who use drugs. Um, and we work really hard to keep people well and alive yeah. Um, and when they're ready, 
get them through to mm-hmm. higher threshold services, into into stabilisation services, into detoxes and things like that. Because you know you can't rehabilitate someone who's dead. You know, mm-hmm. so Absolutely, so yeah. you've got to you've got to you know really work with people. And it's very very important work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Analiffy isn't the only harm reduction service in Ireland. Obviously, Merchants Key do do a similar work, and other agencies across the country now. Yeah. So it's really grown the kind of work. Um, and uh, and indeed, when you think about it, you know, around the same time in Liverpool and Manchester in the UK, they were they were learning and finding out, and harm reduction was emerging over there. So we were really kind of off the very early off the bat mm-hmm. working around those kind of things. And we do, you know, we, we do a lot of work um, now. Uh, yeah. So we've got the we've got a drop in service in in Abbey Street, as I mentioned. We do we do needle exchange and outreach. We do this work we do where. Um, we do case management, so we we work with people around the issues in their lives. Obviously, the the kind of trigger to come and work with us is that they're using drugs, yeah. uh, but they might have problems around homelessness. They might have problems around mm-hmm. um, a mental illness. They might have problems around um, family breakdowns. You know, or, yeah. it can be many many things. Well, I was going to ask because I think for the majority of our listeners, their experience with uh, drug use or with people who use drugs would probably be more in the sort of um, the social aspect of it you know people they might see on the weekends like you know doing cocaine or smoking weed mm. so it's very hard for them to understand like when you're saying um, about who's dropping in they might you know, I don't think a lot of people have an idea of you know who exactly are the people that are coming in and and you know um, what what do you usually find is their reasoning for, for coming into you Okay, so so our traditional group of, of people who would come to the Analyphia, and I'll come back to the recreational drug use as well. But yeah, but um, the traditional, traditionally, uh, people who come to Analyphia are what people might refer to as addicts. You know, mm-hmm. like that, people who use drugs problematically. Yeah, and um, they might. So we would see people who have um, use polydrug use so so the idea of multiple drugs so heroin crack cocaine mm-hmm. um street tablets are a big issue in dublin um yeah. and elsewhere obviously but but um one would just focus on 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 this particular piece of work in dublin um so multiple drugs um very 80 percent of the people that come to us in dublin uh would be um would be homeless Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they're, they're they're either sort of staying at a friend's place, or sleeping in the streets, or staying in hostels, or whatever it might be. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, they might have they might have mental health problems. Yeah. Uh, they they might have physical health problems. Uh, they might have all of the above. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. really quite vulnerable people living quite chaotic lives, mm-hmm. and uh, and quite often. Stigmat- well, they are stigmatized. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, people would not everybody treats people like this but i would say that you know that that they many of the people we work with would feel like sort of modern day lepers yeah you know um and ostracized you Mm -hmm. know um people use you know they they say you know i don't like saying it but you know they use the word junkie they use the word zombie and these things are all very uh stigmatizing Mm -hmm. and you know if you think that stig, you know, if you if you found a group of people who were, you know, quite often so physically unwell, mm. you know, if you if you think of addiction or drug drug dependency as as a health issue, yeah, you know, you you wouldn't accept uh, that kind of language no, about somebody who has essentially a health problem. Mm. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I realise that there's there's uh, there's behaviours that are unacceptable and social behaviour, and we promote, you know, with with people, you know 
their responsibilities as well. Yeah. But I think um, I think that it's uh, it's important to realise that you know if you stigmatise people and shame them, you're not encouraging them to come forward and yeah. and, and and help them to to a better life. Yeah. But um, so with that, that, that's our traditional work. Just to say, you know, we do work down in the midwest of Ireland. In, we're based in we're based in Limerick as well, and we cover uh, areas within the midwest. Um, and we would see similar problems there. Mm-hmm. And we do it's a great piece of work. And I think you know there's there's similarities and differences around working in a, a city like Dublin yeah. and working in the rural uh, yeah. environment as well. So, you know, you, you know, stigma and shame can be even more apparent down mm. in the country where people might, you know, know each other's business a little yeah. more, you know. So Absolutely. The, anon- the anonymity yeah. of the city, mm. uh, the relative anonymity of, the, of, of Dublin City, because it's a small city, uh, can be quite helpful for people to, to come forward and get help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, other other groups of people we work with, well, you know, if you use drugs recreationally, you are taking a health risk. Yeah. You know, and so we do work, um, for example, down at Electric Picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we do welfare work at Electric Picnic. We work alongside the medics. We do outreach and we do harm reduction work. So we, we talk about, uh, from our philosophy, it's safer not to use drugs yeah. at all. But if you are going to use them, this is the information you yeah. need. And then we, we advise people around uh, taking tester doses, um, you know, waiting as long as possible to see mm-hmm. what happens, yeah. um, staying with your friends, those kind of pieces mm-hmm. of advice that actually save people's lives, you yeah. know, and keep people safer um, as well. Do, do you have a, a tough job at hand at something like Electric Picnic where... I mean, the, there is a strong, a big majority of people that just want to go let loose. They're going to drink alcohol. They're probably going to mm. take recreational drugs. So do you find that in those circumstances, you know, it's your your work's kind of cut out for you a little bit? Uh, no, um, I think that I think that if you were there saying just say no to drugs, kids, you, yeah. no one would talk to you. But if yeah. you're sitting, what we do is we treat people like adults. I mean, the guards yeah. are there doing their job. The security are there doing their job and they're trying to stop drugs coming into that environment. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know whether it's alcohol and alcohol is a drug and and, and obviously we, we advise people around you know how to safely uh, drink you know yeah. but um i think that uh i think that people come forward they talk to us that when they realize that you're not judging them they yeah. they they really do engage and the more we do it and the more that we get the message out there like this yeah the more people realize that they're not being sort of stigmatized patronized whatever yeah. um then people just they, they engage with us which is great how does it work tony and this is i mean this is a genuine question that i have like if mm. if, if, if you're at something um like electric picnic and just say oh, i want to get my drugs tested is that you're saying you can test your drugs that's a very topical question uh that we, we there is no drug checking okay. in ireland at the moment so but what there, we, there is at some festivals isn't there is there a system where you can check your ecstasy tablets or, not, not in no? ireland in outside oh. of ireland okay, uh, right. you know in other jurisdictions uh, you, you can so um so in mainland europe in, in holland oh, okay right. um you know they they do it in other in other countries as well like colombia they do it there and uh, and places like that but but um there is a there is a, a group under the national drug strategy which has been set up mm-hmm. and they are looking at these options yeah. um and hopefully they'll they'll they're due to report back in mm-hmm. in due course um and i would be hopeful that we'll see some form of drug checking yeah. in the future um 
honestly, I honestly believe that the harm reduction messaging is mm -hmm. the essential stuff, and we do that, right? But what happens with harm reduction is if you have someone who's an injecting drug user, for example, and you provide um, a needle and syringe program, they come to you, right? Because yeah. you have something they want. And you, you give them that and you talk to them, you create a relationship, mm -hmm. you build trust. And then when they're ready for, to, to talk about other things, not just that, they have a relationship yeah. with you and your team are ready to engage. And I think drug check-in to me is like that. Yeah. So if you can say, you know, if if the model were to be front of house drug checking where people can come up and get their drugs checked and talk to people that is the best model right yeah. that's the one with, from a harm reduction perspective that's the one that helps to create a relationship and offer immediate mm -hmm. immediate harm reduction uh, advice and support um, and other supports um, the other form is back of house where uh, drugs that are seized or put into an amnesty bin can be checked Mm -hmm. And then information be put out to people like, you know, through social media, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and um, that 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 is that is helpful, but it's not as helpful as front of house checking yeah. um, to create that relationship piece. Because I really think that when you sit down and say, right, how are you doing? What do you understand? Yeah. You know, you know, what, what are you taking? What do you think you're taking, et cetera, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And are you, you know, are you aware you should be taking tested doses and all that yeah. sort of harm reduction messaging? So I think, you know, people do come forward. They do enjoy the discussion. Um, and, you know, we do it from a welfare tent next door to the, the medics when someone goes in and uh, Code Blue are the, the, the organisation yeah. we work with. I know um, them well. They do a lot of uh, the combat sports events. That oh, they're, they they're excellent, right? Yeah. They're really good guys. Glenn Ellison, um, and the guys. Yeah, yeah, Glenn, yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, really, really good. And um, and when they're when people are uh, given the all clear by the medics, they, they, are, they have to come into us in, yeah. the, in the welfare tent and we sit with them for a while and we see how they are and we talk to them. Uh, sometimes people are pretty anxious or paranoid yeah. um tearful um and you know spend time with them and support them and yeah. then uh, link them back into their friends or family um and and get the once once it's all signed off between the medics and ourselves they they head off uh home safely you know it's it's mm. you know it's such a minefield isn't it because i'm even like as you're talking i'm thinking back on like all my experiences with drugs mm. all my experiences with my friends and being at that young teenage age it literally not even considering what i'm actually doing mm. considering what i'm putting my body through mm -hmm. what i'm exposing myself to like not even just from the drug point of view but of the you know just your safety in general yeah. you know and it's only as you get older and you look at why people take drugs this the, the scenarios that you get yourself into how it could very easily end up from a to z mm -hmm. in a very very yeah, quick yeah. process and i think a lot of our youth don't stop to think that and they don't because when you're young you don't think about life the way you do when you're going into your 30s or you know you just want to go have a good time and unfortunately we youth kind of are in this culture where well if your friends are doing it you're exposed to it and oh, I'll just try it or and it, it's 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 terrifying really mm. right I, I think the messaging is so important so so we talk you know from the analytics sort of uh, values of the Analyphy, one of the most important ones is that we neither promote nor denounce drug use, yeah. but we seek to yeah. you know, address the risks associated with drug yeah. use. Um, and it's really important to to explain to people that that, that drug use is unsafe by its mm -hmm. nature. Um, yeah. But as I said to you, if you don't engage with people uh, in an adult way, in an adult conversation, then you lose them. Yeah. Uh, so if you do, so we know that the 
the messages of yesteryear with Nancy Reagan, you know, we know that just say no doesn't work. Yeah. It does not work. And there's mm -hmm. no point in wasting our, our time talking mm -hmm. like that. Uh, because if you tell someone that if you if you take drugs, you'll die at the weekend, and yet in their friends, people are taking drugs every weekend and no one's died. Yeah. Not on that not not on that occasion. Yeah. You know, then the message is completely lost. Mm -hmm. People don't believe you. Yeah. But people do need to understand that there are risks associated with all drug taking mm -hmm. um, and they need to be informed about the risks that they're taking. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, right, I mean, so I said to you earlier, I turned 50 yesterday. Yes, happy uh, birthday. And I got, I've got teenage daughters and, yeah. and uh, i got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old daughter. And so I look at them and, and I talk to them, uh, particularly the 17-year-old and the 15-year-old, um, about harm reduction you yeah. know i don't I, like and i don't want them to take drugs mm. um but but you know you know if it's good enough for everybody else's children it's yeah. good enough for mine and i talk to them openly and honestly about the risks that 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 that, that, that they might be taking mm. if if they decide to use drugs yeah um and 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 you know in the as you described in 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 that kind of uh, young, sort of 17 to 25 and, 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 and wider, yeah. you know, younger and older, people are taking drugs and, mm -hmm. and it's a reality. Yeah. So I think that I think that it's re harm reduction is more important than ever. Yeah. Um, we have more drugs. Mm -hmm. They are more potent. Yeah. They are cheaper. There mm -hmm. is more harm associated with drugs. Um, you know, we have the we have the equivalent of two drug related deaths a day. Right. What does that mean? That means that that there is the equivalent of, of, an, of an overdose death a day. And then uh, drug related deaths would be trauma uh, associated with trauma. You know, so hangings and car crashes and things like that. Yeah. But but ultimately people mm -hmm. you know, have died with drugs in their system. And uh, and that includes alcohol. It should be said, you know, in those in those mm -hmm. in that, that data. But 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 I think I think it's you know, it, it just tells you the seriousness of the drug problem yeah. in, in Ireland. And we need to do better, and we can. Absolutely. We can do better uh, in terms of reducing those kind of deaths and other harms associated mm -hmm. with drug use. We cannot solve the drug problem in Ireland. That We can manage it better yeah. um, collectively. And there is a good national drug strategy, uh, and you know there's a, there's a lot to be implemented within that. Uh, so you know we, we all work together. And Liffey is a, a member uh, of, of, like it's a civil society organisation, it's an NGO, yeah. um, and were part of that structure, you know. So you've got your elected uh, politicians, you've got your civil servants, your public servants, and civil society. And mm -hmm. you know, you know, when you look back at drug policy in Ireland, there's this rich history of civil society rising up in the early mm -hmm. eight, in, in the eighties, um, and and marching against dealers and stuff, and having slogans like, you know, um, push it though. Well, dealers beware, <laughs> users we care, you know, yeah. which which to me like is, you know, is 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 where we're at now. Like we're starting, you know, we're we're, we're going to have um, a policy, a health led policy about the possession of drugs for personal use. And um, government has, has made a decision over the summer that 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 they're going to implement a policy whereby if you get found with drugs the first time, you'll get a health um, assessment. Okay. Yeah. See if you've got a problem. Offer you help. However, uh, if you get caught the second time, you get an adult caution, and if you get caught the third time, you go to court. Um, mm -hmm. Now, that's a difficulty for me because 
you know what what we really need and not just me but my my colleagues in civil society are quite clear that we need to give people every opportunity so if people get caught if it's a health issue the first time it's a health issue the hundredth time yeah okay so yeah. people in possession of small amounts of drugs for personal use should be offered uh, a health intervention rather than go to court that's what we've been saying mm -hmm. and government does agree they, they they have they have they've looked at this and they say that this is a health issue and i was talking to lynn ruan yeah. uh, the senator and uh, well, amazing I was, lady i was explaining this uh, we were talking about it and we were explaining the kind of situation that, that we're facing into and um, and she said you know so if it's so so according to that drug use is a health issue but addiction is a crime Mm -hmm. You know, and that's like, yeah, look, we need to do more for people. Like yeah. We've gone, we're, we're definitely going down the right path, mm -hmm. but we need to go a little push further where we give people every opportunity. Absolutely. And just for people listening who think that somehow we're talking about a, jet, a get out of jail card for people, we're not, you know. I mm -hmm. mean, if someone is violent, if someone uh, steals uh, you yeah. know, belongings or breaks into houses, they are crimes mm -hmm. and they need to be dealt with as such. Yeah. But we all accept now that, drug use is a health issue yeah and um and therefore the response to drug use mm -hmm. should be a health issue a Absolutely. health response there is um when we think about drug users it's such a vast like we're saying that's such a vast mm. sort of um spectrum of who is the drug user um there will be people listening that recreationally smoke weed and they might have you know we'll say some weed on them and they get stopped by police and they're in court or whatever else has happened and they'll probably listen and be like it's my it's my um decision to smoke weed if i want to and mm. i'm not harming anyone it's personal use it's for a joint or two at the end of it even after hard days work like I should be left to 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 do whatever I want to do okay. um what is your your response to that or you know because it's not as if it's someone that's going out there selling it's not someone that's intent to sell or that is going to sell to to youths it's for personal use they're being discreet about it and it's it's within their own home so as it stands, drugs are illegal. Illegal, yeah. And mm -hmm. and the, under a health-led response, they will remain illegal. It's just that the so this is the nuance. Is that the response to um, to drug use will be a health one rather yeah. than a criminal justice one? Um, and just to just to be clear, I've been over to to, to Portugal. I've seen the the Lisboa uh, Dissuasion Committee yeah. in action, uh, and it's a real inconvenience for people. It, it like it's like you've been out. You've been found, you know, like you've been found in possession of a small amount of ecstasy at the weekend, and on Monday morning you're going up to dissuasion committee, and you're going to be assessed, and you're going to yeah. have an intervention, and all that. It's total. We are. It's a quantum leap to talk about legalisation of drugs in in, yeah. in Ireland. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, um, there's a lot of talk about like it's quite it's quite polarising in mm. the in when when you start to talk about it because you know. Um, Prohibition has done a lot of harm, yeah. but legalization could do a lot of harm as well, or will do a lot of harm. If you look at alcohol, that's a, that's our most harmful drug. That's a, that, you know, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a, a legal drug, you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, you'd have to get into, you know, what model would you look at? How would it be done? You know, so mm. it, it, it's the, 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 the sweet spot, the middle ground between prohibition and legalization is, is, decriminalization that this health-led mm -hmm. response the response to drug use um being a, you know the possession of drugs for personal use being a health response rather than going into court um 
having an outcome that will affect the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, where, you know, you might not get that job that you wanted when you're 30 or you might not get that job that you want. It'll go to America, you Mm. know, it won't accept you, you know, if you have any kind of, you know, previous uh, Mm -hmm. around possession of drugs, you know, so, so these things are disproportionate. Like in terms of a response from the state, it it, it limits uh, people's life opportunities, you know, and that's, that's not okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- this this approach that we're moving towards, that we're, we're that we will see in action, is the right way to go. Um, I just would like to see, and my colleagues in the civil society would like to see us go that step further, where we just say, look, it's a health response every time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a it's a real the whole legalization one is a real polarizing. I mean, it's argument, it's never yeah. it's it's ne- it's a never ending argument. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. two four you could we we could sit here all night and and debate it and listen and different things. Mm. Um, have you seen a spike in uh, since you started working um, with Anna Liffey? Have you seen a spike in like uh, drug use or drug misuse as it is? <laughs> um, and can you pinpoint it to anything in particular? Um, I, I I think we we have a a big a big problem with drugs, yeah. um, but I think you know 14 into my 15th year and if he's always been busy you know? yeah um, which is disappointing right yeah 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 mm. yeah absolutely um i think what i've seen is drug trends changing yeah so if you if you can recall um there was the head shops um yeah. the head shops were around two th- up to about that was two, a wild time 2009 2010 when legislation came in and closed them down um, but but you know methadrone and alpha PVP and all these drugs yeah. they caused chaos. It was terrifying. It, it caused it was chaos. A terrifying um, time. And and you know and that was an example of uh, an unregulated market. Yeah. And and it caused a lot of harm and a lot of problems that some people are still suffering from today. Mm. Um, but uh, there's those examples. Cocaine is 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 back with a bang. Yeah. Um, and it is more potent than ever. You know, its purity is is higher. Ecstasy uh, is stronger than ever, stronger than the nineties. Um, you've got you've got um, new psychoactive substances. You know, you've got you've got um, street tablets that are that are either you know diverted from prescribed from prescriptions from from GPs mm-hmm. and hospitals, or or, uh, or or are fakes made of new psychoactive substances that yeah. look like the real thing, and they're being traded out in the street all mm. the time. The guards are trying to doing their best. They're they're they're, they're going around seizing drugs and yeah. doing you know trying to stop people being killed and all that sort of stuff. Um, but we have an amazingly uh, difficult problem with drugs in Ireland, and and you know we need to do better. And mm. um, you know when I say that, it's not a criticism. It's just that. It's just that you know we need to we need to implement a lot of the stuff that's in the national drug strategy, um, collect together as civil society and public uh, you know public servants and civil servants and and the community working together. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think like I, like we know that 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 uh, that that it hasn't got better. It's yeah. definitely uh, it's definitely obvious to yeah. people that the drug problem in Ireland well, is it, a big it, one. It's I think it's you know. Um, there is an argument there for Irish people and addiction full stop, you know, and d- mm. does with your work that you do, you know, is it ever looked on uh, uh, a big thing that I've read about uh, quite recently and I find it quite fascinating is generational trauma. Mm. 
mm. and how generational trauma actually impacts, you know, um, generations and daily life and different things. So I've always wondered, you know, has there ever been trends or, uh, you know, has there any real work after been done yeah. or looked into kind yeah, of generational trauma and why people... The- you know, result into taking drugs or go into alcohol addiction or whatever it might be. So yeah, so there's, there's lots of research on addiction, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's quite a there's quite a lot of work at the moment that being done around uh, trauma informed care and looking at, at um, adverse childhood events as a reason for people having difficulties with drugs. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the um, consequences being being difficulty with with, with drugs or alcohol. Um, but that doesn't explain everything, right? That doesn't. Yeah. Not everybody who uses drugs has been traumatized. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Some people like to take drugs. Yeah. Um, and you know they they identify with that scene and call themselves sesh heads and all this sort yeah. of stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, and don't want to be you know uh, referred to as people who have been traumatized. That's why. They yeah. take drugs. So so then you've got people. Um, you know, there's there's uh, been a gene identified associated with addiction. Um, there's uh, there's people who say, well, it's 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 in my family, and you know my mum and dad or whatever mm-hmm. use, so therefore I've I've I'm that's why I do it, all yeah. that sort of stuff. For me, what really matters is what we're going to do about it. Yeah. You know, like harm, like and, and harm reduction is a particular piece of work at a particular time in people's mm-hmm. lives when they're using and and um, and keeping people safe. And then there's a whole load of other work around counselling and, um, you know, treatment and rehabilitation mm-hmm. that, that we move people over to. So our piece of the work, if you like, quite often is getting people, you know, keeping them safe, keeping them yeah. alive and and doing very intense work with individuals to try and move them when they're ready setting goals that, that at their pace towards you know healthier yeah. choices in their mm-hmm. lives because i mean recovery is is a fantastic goal and i know lots of people mm-hmm. in recovery and it's brilliant yeah. but it's not a goal for everybody at all times um so you know we we know that we need to do harm reduction yeah. and and you know get people through to treatment and rehabilitation mm-hmm. and get them stable or drug free you know like when they're ready um so yeah so it's really it, it is complex right yeah. but but uh, i think um, i think sometimes people look for you know particularly loved ones trying to understand why their family member yeah. is behaving like this and they you know maybe they think that they're an alcoholic or that they're a drug addict, or what, or, or that they're drug dependent, and and they're they're looking at all these kind of paradigms to yeah. try and understand what's going on, and it's it's quite you know people feel quite desperate, you mm. know, and quite and and quite alone, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, and it's just really upsetting for family members and community members, uh, and and it's really traumatic. It's not an e- if you are if you have a drug problem, you know, and it's impacting negatively on your life. It's not an easy option or anything like that, yeah. right? Yeah. It's very, very painful, mm. both, uh, I suppose, psychologically and physically, you know, um, and it does a lot of damage and yeah. it's risky. Um, and I suppose I, I always come back to risk and managing risk. So, you know, I was going to mention to you about, you know, harm reduction is is like when, you know, you're leaving the house and your mum and dad say to you, if you can't be good, be careful. Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I want you to come back alive. <laughs> I want yeah. you to come home to yeah. me because I kind of know that maybe you're going to take some risks out there. Mm. Harm reduction takes that good bit, removes that kind of judgment call and says, you know, if you're going to take risks, be careful. Yeah. OK. And then we say this is how to be careful mm-hmm. uh, because we want people to come home alive and well. Yeah. You know, 
Uh, we don't want tragedies, you know. Absolutely. Mm. You mentioned there when you were speaking about, um, you know, the great work that you do and you're referencing what we do. And I'm very interested to to know why this was the kind of chosen path for you. Like what oh. led you to, to mm. decide to, to work with drug rehabilitation and drug addiction and alcohol addiction? Okay. Um, so my background is my London accent comes from living over in London when I was where I was born. Uh, 50 years ago and one day ago <laughs> um, uh, to Irish parents, yeah. to mum and dad, who, who Alan and Stephen, who are from Wexford. And um, my dad was a, uh, was a mechanic and worked in the, the, the motor industry. Uh, and my mum uh, was a school cleaner. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and so we, we, we were just a normal family working away. Uh, but I always had a kind of, uh, I suppose, I don't know what it was. I had this kind of interest in, particularly in in, in street drinkers um you know a lot of the people i would have seen on the streets in london were irish yeah uh so it resonated with me a lot of my uncles were were i lived around me and and all that sort of thing and my yeah. aunts and stuff so i was very much you know engaged in the irish community um and i would see you could see people who were irish and scottish and english and all sorts of different but i was interested in the in, in the irish street drinkers community so much so when i was about 15 uh, I went to a wedding. Uh, my my cousins were um, uh, parishioners up in West, near Westminster Cathedral, or in Westminster Cathedral, and they got married in there because they were parishioners there. And um, and uh, out on the piazza, there's there's, there's always uh, encampments, people sleeping rough, and always has been. It's always been yeah. there. Uh, this was about eighty five, and I was fifteen, and I went over and chatted to a load of street drinkers, uh, and uh, and just talked to them. And then came back over. And I thought no one noticed, actually. But my mum uh, said to me about two years ago, she said, I know when you got into this, you know. That was that time she had it. She, she no had way. her eye on me the whole time. But, um, but I, I, there was this thing I was very interested in. I didn't think it was a career. I didn't think it was a job. I didn't think it was a vocation or anything like that. I just had this kind of fascination. I was kind of... It might have come from my fascination with the Pogues, yeah. you know, um, that kind of street drinking culture. Mm. Um, there was a lot of that going, going on. Um, and yeah, so I, 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 I went off and became a photographer for a little while um, and worked in Christie's Auction House and did that work. And then I got made redundant. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a recession yeah. and uh, did about eight months unemployed. Um, and during that period, I was in the pub one night with a pal of mine called Pete and he said he was going to go and do some voluntary work, you know, uh, with homeless people yeah. in homeless hostels. And uh, I thought it was a great idea. And um, pretty much the next morning or whatever, I got up and 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 uh, went off and went to went and applied and yeah. um, and ended up working in a in a, a a sixteen bed emergency shelter for young people on Dean Street in Soho, wow. and that was my first experience. I was twenty three, and that was my first experience of low threshold work. Yeah, and um, it was it just really gripped me. You know, mm. it just really gripped me. I was working with people who were aged between seventeen and twenty five. Um, so I was 23. So wow. some of the guys were bigger than me and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. And um, so, but, but it wasn't about that. It was about engaging with people. It was about being non-judgmental. Yeah. It was about, you know, I learned about how, you know, someone can come in and, and uh, act out and be really difficult in their mm. behavior. Um, but actually it's a, it's a cry for help. Yeah. And that, you know, you might have to ask them to leave tonight, mm. but tomorrow night they're, they're coming back in and you're going to work with them. And, it, you know, that is what it is to be, mm -hmm. you know, 
client-centered and all that. So I learned an enormous amount from that, that particular job. But I went on to, to the volunteering now. Volunteerism wasn't paid work. I went on then, you know, obviously you wanted to earn money. And around that time, there was all these cold weather shelters open up and um, uh, for, the, for the winter period. And, yeah. uh, and I, I cut my teeth even more so in, in those places where three staff and 90 residents street home, who were formerly like a street homeless the day before were in with us. Uh, yeah. In the really cold weather, we got four staff and 120 residents. And uh, I could sit here all night telling the stories about the work so. there. Yeah. But I mean, that's what, that, that, that was mm-hmm. part of the journey. And then, and then yeah, just, just uh, I went back to college and I studied and, and I was, it was just my interest in, or, yeah. uh, and, and love for harm reduction. Uh, it, it really is very, very, very important. And, you know, low threshold work you know this idea of of tolerating very difficult behavior you'd still challenge people you yeah. still you still put some boundaries in place you know violence is not acceptable mm. um but um but finding ways of working with people you know yeah. um, and it makes you creative it makes it makes the teams that work at the Analyphy and other services that provide low threshold uh work have to think about right how are we going to engage this person yeah. they can't just say I'm banning you. I'm barring you from this place. I don't. I don't yeah. care where you go. Sort of thing. That can't happen. You have to think. Okay, maybe you can't come into the drop-in tomorrow or for a week or whatever. Yeah. But you can come in in the afternoon, and you can, you can, you know, or you can come in and see the nurse or whatever mm. it might be. You know, we have to find a way to keep engaged with people because yeah. that's the bit, the bit that ultimately saves people's lives. You know. Yeah. yeah. Would I be right in thinking, I mean, you were saying there that you, you started out in the, the volunteering and stuff at quite a mm. young age in your early 20s. Would I be right in thinking that you kind of swerved uh, drink and drug addiction growing up? Uh, I, look, I, I, I drank a lot when I was yeah. younger. There was a lot. There was, that was what it was like in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, the pub culture out with my pals. There's a few lads who could tell a few stories. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was that's what it was like. You know, yeah. drugs were around. Um uh, you know, different drugs were around, uh, speed, cannabis, ecstasy, all these kind of drugs. Yeah. They were all, they were all around us, you know, in, in London, uh, ecstasy, particularly in the nineties, you know, was around. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that, I don't think that, I don't know. I mean, could, could, could I have fallen into that? Yeah, maybe, mm. maybe, you know, like, I mean, who, who would be weird for me to say that would never happen to me. Yeah. Um, I'm so, wondering just yeah. from the, the premise of that, you're, you're working with, with yeah. people, young adults that are kind of similar in age to you and that are probably, you know, in a situation where they're yeah. ab- abusing alcohol or they, they've got addiction problems. And I'm wondering, you know, tr- to get a sense of while you're working there, you know, are you seeing the other side that maybe young adults today don't see because they're not in, they haven't put themselves in, in that kind of an environment. Oh yeah. Like it was an eye opener. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was, you know, at that time when I was 23, you know, mum and dad uh, had, had worked really hard to, to give me a, a safe environment to grow yeah. up in all that sort of thing. I was heading into town trying to sort of find, you know, excitement and all those mm. socially and then going to work. I was finding these, um, you know, these jobs that they were like, what are you doing? Are you going to, uh, is this a real job? Are you actually going to get yeah. paid to do this? Or like, yeah. when are you going to get a job job? Um, and I didn't, <laughs> and there was no career path. I didn't know there was, a, you know, that some sort of, there was, you know, that I was going to work how I, how, it, how it worked out. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it exposed me to, 
people's hardships, you know, mm. and how tough it was on the streets of London at, at you know at any time, you know, you know, I was working with people who were sex workers and mm. people who were low-level drug dealers and the violence that comes with that, mm. um, the 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 drug use, um, and you know, for example, you know, I was there one night. Young girl comes to the door. She's staying in. She's booked in for the night. Um, guy, she's sort of banging on the door. We're not quite open. We go out to talk to her. She says, "You know, uh, he's coming. He's coming." We we get him in. We get him in. We get her in. Mm. He grabs her by the arm. I find myself trying to get her in by the other arm. Mm. He's trying to pull her out because he wants her to go out and work that night. She's seventeen, you know. And, you know, I'm 23 in, in the middle of this with my colleagues as well. And we get her in. We have to, you know, he's quite aggressive and, you know, trying to kick the door in and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, we didn't call the police because we were trying to manage it. But, you know, we knew that the police would be on their way. It's so, yeah. you know, yeah. it's they're, 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 so he knew. We said, look, you know, the police will be on their way soon. So he went off. And uh, anyway, we sat with her for a while. We looked after her. We chatted to her. Uh, about half an hour later, you know, she said, "Look, I'm I'm, I'm going out. Uh, I'm going to go and find him." You oh know? my god! And because she loves him, and she went off. Um, and we saw her later on that night, and you know, we looked after her. But then the following week, he came in, and uh, we worked with him. You know. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's what it is to be like. And is he, is he coming to you because he's like yeah, because uh, has he an has, epiphany where he's like, I need to change my ways? Because he was because he's a young man, yeah, right, who had drug problems. And a background, you know, where what we would refer to now as adverse childhood events. Mm. Um, and he needed our help, you know. He had, in fact, that week, weekend he came in afterwards, he just had a quite a severe kick in. And uh, we, we patched him up and we looked after him, we put him up for the night and we did a referral for him and all that sort of thing yeah. and got him into housing. You know, you got that, that's what it is to be non judgmental. Yeah. You know, um, people need your help. And you, if you're going to, not judge that person mm. then when they need your help you help them yeah and that that's tough you know and it's tough for people not everyone can do it no not mm. not at all you mentioned their um adverse childhood effects i'm immediately interested mm. and fascinated by those three words talk to me about it yeah um so it's 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 a really emerged more recently around the whole issue of sort of when people have a number of adverse childhood events it's difficult for me to sort of describe every adverse childhood event but yeah. it, it, you know the obvious ones like um you know assault and or sexual assault or you know that that you know those sort of severe ones but then it goes up and down the spectrum mm. um and the more the more adverse childhood events you have, uh, the more likely you are, essentially, mm. to, to to have difficulty in later life, perhaps around addiction and et cetera, and yeah. psychological problems and, and and such. So it's um, it's yeah, it's it's now you know uh, an emerging area, and yeah. uh, and the team have done some training on it recently, which is great. Um, and yeah, we're, we're learning as well about it as mm. well. So all the time. So yeah, so it's a uh, it's important piece of work. But also, you know, there's other there's other bits of work that need to be done. So you know, we train people up in things called motivational interviewing and solution focused therapies, and yeah. looking for ways to find solutions for people to to move them, uh, you know, on yeah. in their in their in their particular circumstances. With this whole kind of area of the different therapies and looking kind of at the more mental side of, mm, of mm. Um, we'll say, healing or rehabilitation, mm, mm. is that a new enough uh, practice or would that have been something that would have always been there? I think, well, for, for so what we do is 
we would sort of as a low threshold service where it's very practical yeah we're not counselors but we do have uh, we do make sure that the team have you know counseling skills um and uh, and, a, and a toolbox of skills that yeah. they can go to 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 use in situations which are really practical situations yeah. and look listening for when people are motivated and all that sort of thing mm. um but we refer people to counseling we refer people to treatment and rehabilitation and and, and such and we do we run some very low threshold stabilization groups at, um, for, uh, at 51 and 48 Middle Abbey Street. Um, so, uh, look, it's not, there's always developments and always new ways of looking at things and working things. But essentially, like, you know, there's been the cool mine were established, uh, the therapeutic community uh, before us, I think, I think around 1979. And they were the only response. And they, they know, so they were a therapeutic community looking at people's um, uh, from from a holistic perspective and, and such. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's there's a lot of work being done out there, a lot of good work being done. So, you know, when you think about drugs, um, it's a, for me, it's a, like a law enforcement and public health approach. You have yeah. these two, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on within that. But mm. There's a two-pronged approach around sort of, you know, trying to stop the supply of drugs in, and then having a public health approach to try and keep people safe and keep them informed mm. and and actually doing something for people that yeah. have a problem with problem with, with, with drugs. So yeah. It's very interesting. Um, also, going back on what you said there as mm. well, you mentioned the pokes, mm-hmm. which I'm very, we yeah, spoke a little yeah. bit before um, uh, we started recording here. Um, but you were talking uh, very beautifully about like the kind of impact, we'll say, yeah. that the pokes had in yeah. terms of before they had arrived and that it, it, you, you had said, paraphrasing here, but like it's not just, it wasn't just all fairy tales of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you remember about that time? So, yeah, so they, the, the pokes came about in 1982. I was 12 years old. Yeah. And uh, uh, you'd listen to, there was, there was no internet. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there was no emails. There was no internet. Um, Kids have no idea. They have these no days. idea. You had to go to record <laughs> stores or listen to John Peel on the radio or yeah. whatever, right? So it was good. It was great. You listen to watch Top of the Pops, but anyway, they weren't on Top of the Pops in 1982, that's for sure. But John Peel was was playing them, and that's where you'd hear you'd hear the, the music there. And uh, the, the first album, Red Roses, for me, came out, and I went and bought it on vinyl and all that. Yeah. And there was this whole, you know, there was a period in London and in the UK where, you know, it was very difficult. You know, it could be very, very difficult to be Irish. Uh, And of course, I know I have a London accent and I know, you know, um, but, uh, you know, we were just coming out of uh, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Um, There was a lot of racism towards the Irish um, in in London around around that time. And we were only, when we're talking, it was very fresh. It was uncool to be Irish, essentially. I mean, I was at school and stuff, and then the Pogues came along, and it mm. was uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, they they uh, they made it very. There was other bands at the time. Dexy's Mid- Midnight Runners had done something around Come On Eileen. Mm. That, that, that Great thing. bands. <laughs> uh, there was a band called like the Shillelagh Sisters. They yeah. they they were doing this kind of mashup of punk and 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 and. Uh, uh, Irish music, but but the Pogues were the one um, who who this in this kind of folk rock scene that there was back then, this kind of subculture of punk uh, was was were, were, did went on to do really well, and yeah. you would never have known they were going to do so well. Mm. Um, like there was another band called the Men They Couldn't Hang, it was still going, but they they never they never reached the kind of uh, commercial success of the Pogues, obviously. Yeah. But so there was all this going on. And I was just really into them. Um, and it meant a huge amount to me from, from through my, my teenage years mm-hmm. where, you know, 
you know, people think of the Pogues and the first thing they'll talk about is Fairytale New York. And it kind of irritates me because they were far more important than that. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm sure there are people in America that would say the same thing, yeah, you know, absolutely. for the diaspora, that, that, that you know, for, and, and second generation Irish, mm. you know, uh, and or whatever, or third generation, whatever it might be. They were hugely important. Shane McGowan and his uh, writing skills uh, were, 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 like, hugely influential. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so my first gig was... Uh, proper gig because uh, I went to a few festivals beforehand so but, but, like 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 uh, day ones um was the Pogues uh St Patrick's Day 1986 wow. I was 16 <laughs> and it was it was pretty cool I it, imagine. Was, it was pretty cool it was in Hammersmith Palais at the time and I was with my brother and it was just this amazing night where you went in and you had everybody from like you know older much older people to me who was 16 and yeah. everything in between mm. and it was the energy in the room was unbelievable you know the, like they were at the height of their powers really yeah. and um yeah it was it was uh it was uh, an awesome night mm. um but yeah. it just goes to show you know and the reason i wanted to talk about the pogs because obviously um or just done a, a um uh, the Late Late Show special mm. on yeah, him yeah, again sorry, and yeah. you know and, and all his influence and have brought in all these people to talk about how they were influenced by him but it really just goes to show how influential yeah. you know um, uh, music can be sure. not only music but the, the people behind it musicians and how yeah. they can impact you know not only youth culture but can connect people like that who maybe have travelled afar you know we, we around that time when people were paying tribute to him there was a lot of um, like that people, you know, expats in American stuff that say they that was their only way of clinging on mm. to like a, a little remembrance of home or a feeling sure. of home is listening to the Pogues, you know. So it's it's the impact yeah. that that brings to people is. Um, yeah. And there's a whole lot of bands that have come directly from there. You know, the mm. Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of more now. But anyway, there's loads, there's loads yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it to me, for me. The Pogues were most influential in the eighties for mm. me, before Fairytale in New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, then they still, sold out. <laughs> I still bought it at the time. Yeah, I got the double fold out uh, vinyl, <laughs> and I, and I loved it and all that. And even when it came out, you never would have known it was mm. going to be as big. The 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 Christmas song, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, but when you look at it and you listen to it, you realise why. But um, yeah, no, it was they were they were hugely important, mm. uh, and like not just to me. I mean, I, I, I mean, my brother and sister will tell you the same, uh, you know. And uh, and we had a lot of friends who were who who uh, were impacted, maybe not as profoundly as I was, yeah, uh, or feel about it. Um, but certainly it had an impact. Mm -hmm. We spoke as well. Um, all our best stuff always gets recorded before we hit play on this mm, show. Mm, sorry, <laughs> yeah. Think, what am I going to talk about? But yeah. we were talking about, you You said you'd listen to the Macer podcast oh, and yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Mathman and to Paul Allwright's yeah. Little Dialect last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, we were saying Mango, Mango from uh, Mango yeah, Mathman. Yeah, you've yeah. met him a couple of times. He's yeah. done some work for you, is that right? Yeah, so we have this campaign called Safer From Harm. It's the campaign to decriminalise people who use drugs. Um uh, and a number of people with public profiles um, have helped us yeah. uh, and spoke out about you know, the need to, uh, to, to, to implement a, a, mm. a health-led approach. But, um, excuse me, the, uh, yeah, Mango, Mango came in along and, and took part in a, 
in, in, in a video for us. Mm. It's online. If you go, people, people go to saferfromharm.ie. <laughs> if they're a fan of Mango, go along and yeah. visit saferfromharm.ie and find that video. It is a hashtag as well, isn't it? It is a hashtag. Yeah. It's gone, yeah, it's, I think it's like, it's got, it's got a fair bit of uh, traction mm. now, uh, which is great. Um, and I, I think it makes sense to people uh, like that, that, that what we're trying to achieve is, yeah. is, is to make people safer from harm, mm. make us all actually safer from harm because uh, we, we know that prohibition hasn't worked. You know, yeah. 1977, when the Misuse of Drugs Act was, uh, was, was, was first uh, introduced uh, and we're 43 years later and we're in a mess. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, that we, we know that, that, uh, that we, we can do something different, we should try something different, and that is this health approach, and that's what Safer From Harm is, is about, is to decriminalise uh, decriminalize people who use drugs. So, yeah, so we had some... Uh, so Emmett Kerwin has helped us. Fantastic Mar- guy. Marion Keyes. Yeah, oh, no way, brilliant. Um, Christy Moore. Wow, yeah. you got Christy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, and I'm Christy very Moore impressed. was brilliant because everyone knows <laughs> that Christy has spoken about alcohol uh, before, yeah. but on on video for us, he talked about his cocaine use, wow. and that was that was really really mm. helpful. You know? um, definitely, and for someone like Christy Moore, you know, he's infamous for not talking. You know, <laughs> yeah. not saying anything. And we anything. asked him, and he said he would do it. You know, wow, that's and Marion amazing. Keys, uh, spoke out about it in support of uh, you know say you know keeping people. Uh, PJ Gallagher was brilliant as well. Yeah, you know he was so articulate about about you know and you know you need people to help. You know you need people with because you're trying to reach different groups of people mm. and you know you're trying to like, you know thank you for having me on to talk Not about this all. because Not your listeners will hear it now right yeah. um, and that's that's really helpful mm. you know to to get that message out there that to try and explain because people think that decriminalization is legalization and it's not legalization yeah we've talked about that already yeah. um and uh yeah it just you're just trying to get your message across in a clear way mm. um and people with public profiles who other people will listen to mm. uh um like i mean imagine the people that listened to Christy, like they, they, they wouldn't have listened to some of the other people that we've yeah. had talk about. So you get this range of people Absolutely. all the time. It's really cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Do you have any hopes, any dream supporter that's out there? I do. Go on. Barry Keown. Ah, yeah. well, when you get him, you can tell him that I want him for this podcast as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, Barry, Barry. Um, well, Barry would automatically reach a very specific genre of, of young yeah, yeah. male adults straight off the bat. I think Barry would, would resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I know it's on record as well. Um, unfortunately, Barry's mother passed away yeah, from yeah. a drug-related death, which is really tragic and sad. Mm. But and, and I think it would be interesting to hear from Barry. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll put that out there. Yeah. We'll put it into the universe, and I want him on this podcast as well. Yeah. So we'll do we'll do a, a double campaign on that, right? Um, but in terms of your work, Anna Liffey, everything that's coming up, like what are the hopes for the future for you guys? Uh, well, we look. We were. We want to keep working uh, mm-hmm. on harm reduction with people. We want to keep opening our door and and bringing people in and helping them. We're we're very much needed. Um, you know, we, we work on Abbey Street and we're very low key. Yeah. Uh, Can the public help in any way? Yeah, yeah. so we have volunteers and uh, and we are a charity, so people can donate. Um, and, uh, you know, we, there's there's a donations page on our website, aldp.ie. Um, and, uh, you know, 
people giving their time over to us is you know is hugely yeah. helpful you can imagine you know we're, we're very we're, we're helped by the state obviously we get funding from mm-hmm. hsc and probation service um and you know the t-shocks office and all sorts of so, so sort of uh, state funding predominantly state funding yeah. and we're hugely grateful for that because obviously we couldn't work without it um but then you've got the the other sort of added value that that private donations help uh, us um you know people giving their time over uh, all the work we do at electric picnic that i described mm-hmm. we all we all provide pro bono for free yeah. go down and 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 spend our time down there doing that um you know so we use volunteers we had get this right now the 2017 we had we had nine volunteers going down um 2018 we had 50 uh, is that right and that yeah and then last year we had uh, 70 you know wow, roughly, roughly the, the right Brilliant. so so you know so and um you know we we we're, we're aiming to be back uh, helping uh this year as well Brilliant. um so you know getting help uh is re- is, is is enormous you know for us mm-hmm. but it's, it's so great when people give their time yeah you know if i was to go in there in the morning what kind of position would you have me and if i wanted to volunteer what would be okay so so well we have a range of volunteers mm-hmm. uh, sort of posts that people can help us with you know so you can be in the back office because some people don't like they want to help but they don't want to be frontline yeah. okay because uh, it is you know it's not for everybody um but then other people do want to to work with people directly um so we have people that join. So when you imagine you've got a uh, an employee yeah. um, and uh, they're going on outreach, sometimes uh, you know, well, we we ask volunteers to go with them because yeah. it, for to be safe and to validate what's going on, you mm-hmm. need two people. So you maximise um, your you know your employees' time by, by by having volunteers working with them. Yeah. That's very very helpful for people who want to learn new skills and ha- and 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 really feel like they're helping. You yeah. know, um, they work in the drop in. They work. They do like everything really. Like working with Amazing. us. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, and like I started as a volunteer, so I'm hugely passionate. Exactly. And I, like you know, so like I'm the chief exec now, um, which is you know this grandiose title. But you know, but that that's where I got to with my career in 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 terms are helping people um but uh but that that's you know if you you know volunteers uh, you mm. know that's where you start sometimes absolutely. yeah yeah absolutely well i encourage any of our listeners to go down and give it a give it a try give it a volunteer yeah. so like there's a there's a application form on on the aldp.ie if they go and visit that and look for the, the volunteer application form Super. you can fill that out and we'll get back to them brilliant mm. before i let you go final mm. question you done a ted talk yeah how did oh. that go um, like it's it's the re- it's the most intense thing you can do. I imagine because um, they have a very specific you should do setup. One. You should do one. I'm fine for the time <clears throat> being, thank you, Tony. But uh, maybe I maybe applied. In time. I applied to the Dublin Institute of Technology. They they were organising one. I don't know. Was it 2017? Yeah, 2017. And um, and well, from my perspective, right. So I'm sitting here chatting away on this, and it's we're just talk, we're talking. Yeah. But but to to sit down to stand up in front of a camera with the lights on you mm. uh, for about 12 minutes and talk from end to end and yeah. make complete sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's not easy, right? I imagine. And, I, and it's not really my sort of, uh, it's not really my, my strength. Um, so I had to learn a different way of doing it. So what I did was just really yeah. short to make it to get to the point. No, 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 go first. I, I, I sort of, I, I, changed, I, I, I just thought, right, okay, what I'll do is I'll visualise people that, yeah. that, that, that I, I associate with these with this journey right and that's what helped me so i had had people's faces popping up in my mind but my legs were absolutely trembling the whole way through 
and uh, uh, yeah, which is completely normal. People should be nervous, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. And there was about 200 people in the audience, which I spoke, I've spoken to, to bigger audiences than 200, but the cameras are there, the lights are on, mm. and ideally you want to try and do it in, the, in, in one take. Yeah. I really didn't think I was going to be able to. Um, the nerves were really kicked mm. in. So you may as well admit it, right? And yeah, so it was it was nerve wracking. Because they want to, they want to do brilliant. in one take, don't they? That you have to. Yeah. It's like oh, and uh, no, no, uh, they can cut it. Right. right so okay. They can. They okay, can. Okay. They can. Because that's why they get you to stand on that kind of round mat, the okay. red round mat. It's 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 really well done. You know? I would have grand illusions though if I was to do a TED talk. I'd want to be one of those TED talks that like went viral, and it was like where well, people. Well, would everybody listen wants to that. it at like eight in the morning for right. inspiration you yeah, know yeah, like everyone... throw on Lydia from the first exchanges TED talk it's, there it's a bit like if you do a, <laughs> if you do a, a, a PhD which I haven't done it's bloody hard um it is um is you want your thesis to change the world? Do you yes. want, you know, you, yeah. of course you want people to watch <laughs> yeah. it. What's the point of doing a TED talk if no one's no, yeah. or a TEDx yeah. talk if no one's yeah. going to watch it? So after you've done it, the the other challenge, the bigger challenge, is get is because if you don't have a public profile like. You know, Philly McMahon did his one. Right? Yeah. Philly had helped us in the past with Safe yeah. from Arm. Uh, and he did he did his one up in Mount Road Prison. And, you know, naturally, lots of fans went to watch mm. it. And, you know, it, I don't know, maybe it's certainly te- over 10,000 more, I don't know, have uh, I've watched it. I've been struggling to, to, to get people to, to, to listen to it. So if you want to, have a listen to it. Yeah, um, exactly. If you're listening yeah. to this. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, that's that's a hard, like, if I was, if I was, you know, someone said to me, what was the hardest part? Certainly, it was hard to do it, but it's even harder to sort of promote it and 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 keep people yeah. see to, to go back to it. And I see imagine, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mine was about um, supervised injection facilities and and advocating for um, legislative change, changing the law to yeah. allow for their existence. Mm-hmm. And how did we do that? You know, yeah, that's that's, that's amazing. Well, it's a very interesting one. Um, when you think back on on your work to date, or you know, it's I always like to think about. It's a very morbid question, but you know, after you've gone, when mm. people look back on your time and what you spent the majority of your your God. your your years doing, how would you like people to remember you? What would you like them to say about you? God, oh, I know it's very morbid, but I've, it's one of my most no, fascinating. It's not I don't know what to say. Questions. Um, uh, <laughs> the, well, that that he stuck that that he stuck to 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 those principles, those mm. low threshold harm reduction principles that that I talked about, that I worked with, that I found out about twenty seven years ago. Yeah. They that 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 um they were, yeah, they stuck to it. Yeah. You know, because they are really, really, really important. Yeah. That's a good one. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. It does. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Tony. I really thank appreciate you. it. That was a really, really, really interesting chat. It was, and I wish you all the best with all your plans. Thank you. And um, I'm going to volunteer this year. Oh, cool. You can hold me to it. So I'm okay. going to go down and volunteer some time. Okay, excellent. Because um, I'm a big supporter of, of the work excellent. that you're doing. So. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I know you're busy for oh, coming no, in. No, no, it was very, really like, very, come on in this week. Let's go. Yeah. Um, but thank you very much. And what is the website again where people can find out more? Uh, so ALDP.ie is the Analyphy's uh, initials. So ALDP.ie. Uh, and uh, and if you want to visit saferfromharm.ie, that's interesting. Perfect. Too. Amazing. Great stuff. Well, thank you thank very you. much. Tony Duffin for The First Exchange. <laughs> <laughs>